Well, is, as is our custom at this service, I realize that most of you did not leap out of bed at the crack of dawn on the 21st and 22nd to observe the solstice. Did anybody get up to observe the solstice? Well, we have a couple of hands over there. We have one over there. We have a couple back here. Very good. And you must have been thrilled because the sun was where it was supposed to be or the earth was where it was supposed to be in relation to the sun. The only word I can give you is whew. I mean, do you all realize the enormity of what happens if that's not what they saw? That's called being in deep, fat honey. Because then there wouldn't be the rest of winter. It would just go on and on and on and on and on. There would be no spring. There would be no summer. It would be very chilly. Yes, indeed. So the solstice is, is really a very key pivot in human life on this earth. Well, if you stop to think how many festivals are clustered around this particular celestial event, Christmas is one, Hanukkah is another, Kwanzaa is a third, and there are lots of others scattered all over the planet in almost every group because people have realized for thousands of years that if the sun isn't going to come up tomorrow where it's supposed to come up, there's trouble. You feel reassured now? You, you should. You should feel much better about things. Well, it all looked well. We got up. Of course, where we live, the, the sun comes up like this, but there's a nice ridge here. So you don't really have to get up at dawn. The 730 is fine. Is this, that's when the sun cracks over the ridge. Now, is that civilized or what? That's very civilized. Well, I checked again this morning, and lo and behold, the sun had been moving a little bit to the north. That's a good thing. Anybody else check this morning? Did you check this morning? Anybody else? A nice, clear morning. Well, so much for the solstice, but that's what we're celebrating. And so, by the way, by the way, next year, when you feel uh, sort of overwhelmed by the happy holidays routine... You can smile at people and say, and I wish you a merry solstice. That's covering your number on, on every account. Well, the passage this morning from Luke is pretty familiar. I mean, you have young Linus Van Pelt from Peanuts World, who uh, uh, reminds us of this every year. Uh, you've got angels and shepherds, and you've got uh, a visit to the manger. You ever stop and think, okay, you're a shepherd. You're out there on the hillside watching your flock by night, which you are paid to do. And all of a sudden, something happens, and you run off. Who's watching the sheep while you're gone? Did they assign a few angels to do that? I mean, doesn't, does this come up for you? I, I don't know. I think about things like that. So the, <laughs> the shepherds all flock away themselves, go down to Bethlehem, come back, and everything turned out was all right. 
But the message of the gospel as the message of Christmas is simply this. The promised Messiah has come. And come not as a ruling warrior and a charging horse, but as a defenseless, tiny, newborn baby. This will be the savior of Israel. This is the Messiah who will reinstate the Jews as a unique and powerful people. And this is the person who will be the Lord of the whole earth, this tiny, tiny little baby. You know, it's, it's amazing when you stop and think about that. What is that story trying to tell us? And one of the key learnings from that story is that which is small and that which is defenseless often doesn't stay that way. And that the, the prophecy, for example, that Jan read earlier, the first lesson, that was a couple hundred years old by the time these events were taking place. So this, the thoughts of a Messiah, the thoughts of a rescuer, the thoughts of someone who would come and bring salvation to a beleaguered people who'd been beaten by everybody in town. You know, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Medes, the Persians. The list goes on and on. Everybody conquered Israel because they had their little country right there on the crossroads. (laughs) If you wanted to go up and down that edge of the Mediterranean, that's where you went. And you sort of went through Jerusalem and you went through that part of the world. So it was very unique. So I'd like to skip over now to another unique facet of what we were talking about this morning is angels. Do a lot of you do a lot of thinking about angels? Is that something that you dwell on often? Just thought I'd bring it up. My uh, my niece gave me a wonderful book for my birthday, which I commend to all of you, and it's called The Physics of Angels. And it's a dialogue, it's, it's, it's two people who are really tops in their field. Matthew Fox, who is a theologian, and Rupert Sheldrake, who is a physicist. And the two of them have a conversation about angels based on the writings of people like Thomas Aquinas and Hildegard of Bingham. And it's a, I found it really kind of interesting. For instance, the great controversy over do angels have wings or not? Well, Thomas Aquinas was absolutely certain that they had wings or not because they had to get around fast. And eagles and hawks and raptors got around fast, so eagles must have been able to get around fast, and so they needed wings to do that. Hildegard is kind of a surprise. She she was a polymath. I mean, she was way, way, way ahead of her time, and she looked around a little bit, and she thought, well, if you're an angel, you don't need earthly things like wings. 
you can just manifest. And the interesting thing is when this book, which so fascinated me or fascinates me, uh, The Physics of Angels, is that that's exactly what the physicist is saying. Is that think of a mass of photons that not only show up here, but show up there, and they can do it both places at the same time. Now, whoa. Now, that's kind of heavenly, isn't it? I mean, that's... Now, how did she know? You know, I mean, it's a matter of... It's, 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 it really is a miracle. What, what people are beginning to understand, it's like, it's like the book of reality with a big R is being unfolded. It's like we're learning more and more and more using the window of, of physics or using the window of chemistry or the window of science to be able to understand the divine. They are not in competition, as some would have you believe. They are not in competition. They are opening new doors, opening no win- new windows, opening new ways of perception. For example, if you decide at 11.30 at night that there's a a passage in a book that you're reading, we won't even say it's the Bible, it's a passage in a book that you're reading and you can't fall asleep because it's driving you nuts because you can't remember it, what do you do? You get up and you turn on a light. And in turning on the light, that knowledge is now available to you. Satisfied, you totter back to bed, turn the light off, and go to sleep. I mean, we take these miracles that are just commonplace, but they're not. You know, there's a wonderful book that I'm sure many of you have read, many of you have read by Manchester called A World Lit Only by Fire. How many of you have read that? Oh, my work is not finished yet. That is a wonderful book, A World Lit Only by Fire. And uh, it was amazing. I have a friend up in Oregon who belongs to a little book group of college professors. And every once in a while they have a conference call and they have me in and they wanted me to talk about first century Christianity. And so I pointed out some of the things from this book, but it was a different book when the world is lit only by fire. Well, given all of that as background, what we're celebrating today is a gift. It's a present. It's the Messiah, directly from God. And the message is very simple and very short. There is the promise of peace on earth. There is the promise of hope for a bountiful land. There is the concept of loving kindness and mercy of God for his people on this earth. He is the creator or she is the creator. Not sure about genders here. And we are the creatures. Creatures are what creators make. Okay, we are the creatures. But above all, we have, as a result of the Messiah coming, the gift of the Spirit. Now, we have a local cottage industry that uh, um, 
is working on their own version of the concept of the gift of the Spirit, but they describe it as the force being with you. Now, surely that's familiar ground for you, right? But you notice an interesting thing is that we Christians, we're odd, always have been, um, this, we look at the gift of the Spirit as a little better than the force for one sort of major reason. How many of you have seen the new Star Wars movie? It's a Disney film, yes. Um, The spirit is something we do as a group and celebrate and know and experience and find as a group, like us, here this morning. The force seems to be a one-person show. The force be with you. No, no, not with you, just with you. It's different different way of looking at the power of creation. So what do we do about all this stuff, all these angels and all the messiahs and all of the gift of the spirit? What are we going to do with this? Well, part of it is you get to decide. Do you want to take the holiday spirit of generosity, of kindness, of openness of hopeful caring for others you want to carry that throughout the world or you just want to uh, dust it off in uh, December and that's that you choose it's up to you you know we all have choices and those choices determine who you are you know those of you who interview people for jobs and I imagine there's a number of you here that do that One of the things you are very interested in is the choices that the candidates have made over their lives about career and about projects and about how they work with people and how they handle problems and how they handle difficult people and how other people handle them and so on and so forth. How do we behave? How do others describe you? This is all part of our choice system. You know, one thing that occurred to me, too, was that the whole notion of toys, what are toys for? Toys are really kind of a dress rehearsal for life, where you take a, you know, you see very, very primitive toys. Maybe it's a little corn cob with you know, with the corn silk still on it that's been combed, and that's the baby, and that's the doll. Uh, Or to something very unique from Mattel or Hasbro or some other corn cob maker. And it's amazing that these are dress rehearsal for life. And there's lots of roles. And it's interesting to see the roles that people choose around their toys. Adults have sort of one role, I've got a better toy than you do, so ha, ha, ha. That's kind of a general thing. My car's faster, my boat is bigger, my, you know, whatever. Um, but as, as kids, and, and a lot of adults too, we have our heroes, we have caregivers, we have people who do good in the world, we have wicked villains, 
We have good guys and bad guys, but all of them really need love and all of them need care and all of them need to be put away when mom says, clean up your room. And toys are an important preparation for, for life and certainly a great preparation for marriage because we still have to clean up our rooms. <laughs> so what is the message of Christmas? The major message is this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are in heaven now because we choose and make choices to build the heaven around us in the relationships of which we are a part. This is eternal life's beginning. It is not the end. This is the beginning of eternal life. We are learning to build up, not tear down and destroy. We are learning to deal with what we are afraid of and who we are afraid of and what fear does to us as individuals and as a culture. We need to realize that, you know, when I was in uh, community mental health, no, not as a patient this time, I was a program manager, and I had a service center with a mental health unit with a psychiatrist who was a very interesting guy. But we were talking about this one patient who was rather difficult, and he said, "Um, Chuck, you've got to realize some people, this is back in, 19, early 70s, like 1974, before the first Star Wars, by the way. Chuck, you got to realize, some people get their energy from the wrong side of the line. Some people get their energy from the wrong side of the line. It's important for you and I to pay attention to that. So we don't necessarily have to buy into it. So here we are. The last words are rejoice in the living Christ. Rejoice in the power of the Spirit which is redeeming your life through the love of God. Amen. Amen.